UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Drive past the fountain in Mill Creek Park at the gateway to the Country Club Plaza, and chances are you'll see a protest taking place. Israel, gay rights, KC tenants, abortion, you name it, and champions of various causes often set up shop at one of the most visible corners in our city. But here's a question. Is protest effective? How effectively do protesters make points with people driving past? And is there a type of protest that's more effective than others. Should these protesters holding signs by the fountains instead uh, by marching up Main Street or shutting down I-35 to register their concerns? With us to talk about the power of protests is a woman who's had a hand in organizing a lot of them around town of late, and that's Tara Ragavir. She's director of KC Tenants. Tara, welcome back to the show. Always good to have you here. Thanks, Steve. Also here is Sandra Enriquez, an assistant professor of history and director of the public history emphasis at UMKC. Among her research interests are social movements and public history. Sandra, good to have you too. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And by the way, we asked our text line to respond to some of these concerns and what we heard. We heard a lot of things. Yes, uh, one person wrote, I participated in protests and vigils and rallies since I was 18 at KU. I'm 79 now and have had my opinions of protests evolve in several Several different directions. I still get inspired when I, I see live coverage of protests. Last night, TV news showed protests in Paris and Brussels. I watched on Instagram a live protest in Sydney, Australia last Friday. My, per, uh, my personal last protest was in Columbia, South Carolina, after the shooting in Parkland, Florida. And another, another person wrote, not sure about the effectiveness of protests. In 2020, it seemed that the protests against police brutality only brought on more police brutality. It also seems that no matter how peaceful a protest intends to be, there's always someone who stirs up trouble, prompting the people who don't agree with the protests to blame the protesters for the violence. Well, Sandra, I'm just wondering... How have protests evolved in American history? Because it's it's not just marching in the streets, which might be the most recognizable form. But what are some other forms that we see these days and maybe seen throughout history? Right. Um, so for first of all, I would like to say, you know, protests, even direct action protests looks different. Right. And um, and the way that movements are built, their strategies are always different. Right. So there's not one way to do it. And there hasn't been um you know, there hasn't been, you know, one right way or the wrong way, right? Like they all play a part in bringing awareness and, and in bringing social change. I think that what has really kind of been different as we get closer to the, you know, 21st century, especially um, in the 20 teens and 20s, has been the proliferation of social media and bringing awareness to yeah. movements um, because you can see an um, an Instagram post or a TikTok video about a particular uh, movement, uh, an organization, a place, um, and that obviously didn't exist, you know, in in the early 20th century. Uh, the social media would have been a little different, right? Like through pamphlets or flyers, right, or word of mouth, um, especially uh, the role of the media, right? Especially independent. Um, 
um, I would say, independent publications. Well, has social media made protests more common? Are there more of them today than there were 10 years ago? I don't think that they made them more common. They made them more visible ah. and more easily uh, accessible, I guess, to see uh, for, for folks. Um, so, you know, protests, movements, uh, organizing has been going on for, you know, since the beginning of time. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we think about social movements uh, kind of in waves, but they never disappear. They mm -hmm. continue on the ground, right? Um, it's just um, not as, as I guess, easily easily to see uh, for for um, for folks. Is there a way for you to quantify or to determine how effective these things are? Is there any way to do that? I don't think there is, um, because but it, people must think there's some effectiveness there because they keep doing it, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the tools that we have, right, as, as, um, uh, citizens of a place, right, to bring change, um, quantifying, uh, victories, so it's a little, you know, you can't really quantify victories, right, so that's why you have to, uh, keep, keep doing it, and so, uh, for me, I think that until we have full justice and equity, right, um, you can't really stop having activism mm -hmm. or stop having protests or stop having movements, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is no writ large, you know, justice for everyone. And so it's a constant, it's a constant ongoing labor that um, uh, thousands and thousands of people, you know, millions of people around the world have, um, have gone under, you know? You know, Tara, I'm just wondering what brought you to KC to found the organization KC Tenants, which has been so involved in protests in recent years. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I think there's actually an interesting distinction to introduce here. KC Tenants is not a protest organization. We're a power organization. We build long-term sustainable power, or at least that's our intention. And I think when we think and talk about protest as a society, we're often talking about what we see in the streets as kind of spontaneous mobilization. And that we would think of as pretty distinct from what we do at KC Tenants, which is organization, right? We're building the power of a people's organization. And that power requires infrastructure. It requires sustainability, consistency, and it requires people to be very clear on their shared interest in the project. And so, protest, though, is one form of activism that's connected to KC tenants. That's right. But I would argue that's like one of the smallest components of the work that we do. More often than not, you know, we're unfolding folding chairs in a church basement and talking about an upcoming incentive deal. And, you know, during the last couple of years, we've often had to escalate to protest or to direct action over time. But that's never the first place we start. We always start by asking the right questions, trying to write letters, you know, engaging with decision makers. And then we escalate to protest or escalate to direct action action as part of a strategy. So when, I was going to say, when do you decide to pull the trigger and protest? Well, I'll give you an example. During 2020, we won a local eviction moratorium, and that helped keep thousands of people in their homes during the pandemic. And then local judges allowed that moratorium to expire, and they were evicting people as normal into the streets during this time of horrible, you know, spreading virus. We wrote letters, we held vigils, we tried to do all of these kind of lower um, lower lift activity to win back the moratorium that we had lost. It didn't work. 
And at a certain point, we felt we had no other option but to escalate to direct action and start shutting down the courtrooms ourselves. Hmm. How big of a decision was that? Because you knew it was going to make a splash. It was a huge decision. We do not take that type of decision lightly at all. We're not. I think this is a common misconception that people have about us that, again, we're a protest organization and we exist to sort of yell and scream. If you came to a Casey Tenants meeting, I think you would meet people who love their city so much. They're not bloodthirsty. They don't want to spend a cold January night on the lawn of a judge. They're doing that out of a deeply considered strategic decision that we've made as a collective, that that is the only option to further our cause. What type of protest have you guys determined, Tara, is most effective when it comes to getting the attention of the mayor, getting the attention of the city council? Once we've reached a stage where we need to escalate, the options that we consider are mostly not what I would call protest, but actually direct action, right? If we decide something's got to give, we need to kind of bring the crisis to its creators in a more escalated fashion. We will invite people in our base to take direct action. And that's a critical distinction. We're not putting out a call to everyone in the city to come show up to Mill Creek, right? What we're saying is there are people in this room who have a real stake in what we're trying to do. We're going to invite them to take a risk with us. And that's a risk that's informed, right? When we know or we know going into an action that we take, whether or not there's any activity that may or may not be arrestable, for example, and anyone who's going to be taking that risk is briefed on the legal risk that they're taking before well in advance of us arriving at the action itself. So there's a risk in terms of a, re- a risk, uh, risk in terms of an arrest. And there's also a risk in terms of what it might mean for the reputation of KC tenants, which is something that you have to cradle in your hands to some extent and worry about, right? Of course. I mean, you know, when we escalate on the mayor, for example, we don't always agree with the mayor. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. When we escalate on the mayor, something that we have to consider when we take part in those escalations is the cost to us in terms of our access to him, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes that is a sacrifice we're willing to make in order to escalate the pressure in public that we need on a particular issue. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just wondering, Sandra, how much does our political system fuel the number of protests in our country? I mean, we've seen student-led walkouts, uh, protesting gun violence, massive marches for abortion rights, and studies that show, you know, the majority of Americans believe there should be some degree of legal abortion, and yet the Supreme Court just overturned that right. So to what extent is our political system fueling this at its core? Right. So our system right? Our political system. And I like to say systems, right? Because there's multiple. Um, They were made to not be changed, right? And so it is really difficult uh, for any of these activities, whether they're, you know, uh, you know, grassroots organizing or more kind of large scale organizing uh, tactics to bring change. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to tell folks that change has happened in spite of, right? Uh, the systems that we have in place. So it's really difficult, for example, um, to not see how, uh, you know, our our system is completely based on white supremacy, right? And then not, um, and how that, in, in essence, right, um, will maintain the, you know, the way that we have our education system being mm-hmm. taught, um, or how uh, our economy runs, right? Especially, um, 
especially, you know, we are a capitalist society. So that also maintains, you know, inequities across the board. And it's so easy, right? That's why when I mentioned about um, these movements uh, not necessarily going away, it's because these systems have been incredibly, you know, they haven't been in place and they're incredibly difficult to change. Yeah. Um, and so it, that's why these uh, movements are always ongoing because there's no, you know, we haven't reached that point where these systems have been dismantled. We'll be back in just a minute. We're talking about the effectiveness of protests in this modern age. You know, Tara, we were talking about just the broad question of how effective protests are. What do you say to that? And, and have you been able to determine what kinds of protests tend to generate more interest and more impact than other types of protests? Yeah. It's important to think I think from the start about the point of protest, right? For us at Casey Tenants, the point of protest, the point of direct action is not just protest. The point is power. Does it get us closer to power? Does it get us closer to our strategic end goal? Do you if think it, a lot of other organizations make a mistake in not making that calculation going forward? Yes. I think a lot of organizations aren't making that strategic calculation as concertedly as we are. They're just frustrated and they're going to show up on the streets and let exactly. it go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of protest is actually not coming from organization, but rather from collective rage that brings together individuals who otherwise aren't organized into an ongoing political project. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge distinction, right? Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is an ongoing political project. The point is power. The point is not simply protest until we die, right? Um, and I think there's, a, there's an element of protest, and Sandra is speaking to this as well, that is critical in channeling that collective rage that we often feel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I remember myself being moved to be in the streets in 2020 because there was simply nothing else I could imagine doing, mm -hmm. right? It was so alienating to be at home and watch these kind of travesties play out around the me. The George Floyd thing you're referring to. Exactly. The police mm -hmm. murdering George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I had to do something with my body, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a feeling that is irreplaceable that I think people get from being in the streets with people who share their values and channeling that kind of collective rage. Right. And then if there's not a follow-up from that, I think there's a real um, there's real harm that can be done when people feel that they can channel some of that anger, but then it doesn't go anyplace. They lose faith in that process uh, unto itself. And that's where the strategic component has to come in, that you're protesting, aiming at a goal down the road. That's right. It's not enough for people to show up episodically, you know, when they're upset, when they see something on social media. We need to be building organization that people can kind of channel their political life towards. But right? that's the distinction between protesting against someone, something like the George Floyd murder versus what you're trying to do with Casey Tenants, which you went into knowing, I'm sure, this was going to be a long-term proposition. We're going to be around a while because this kind of change is going to take years, not a month. And so that that changed your whole thinking about your organization, I'm sure. Yeah. From the jump, there's a 
whole set of different strategic calculations. Uh-huh. And and it's still useful, right? In a in a moment like the police murder of George Floyd, the uprisings that followed that, I would argue are still very useful. There's a whole generation of political education that came from that summer in the streets. Now the question is whether those people are so committed to that political project that they're joining an organization or starting an organization to keep it going. And that's a huge distinction, right? Versus, you know, letting the emotion out, Sandra, versus aiming at a long-term goal here. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, these, and and I, I would like to, you know, sometimes folks want to get involved and, and they don't know where to begin, right? And so sometimes these big protests, right, these big manifestations are often a first, uh, a first place, right, where they see themselves getting involved. But a lot of the times, and in history, right, I see it in the the works that I study or my own, you know, uh, research that um, usually these big manifestations essentially then lead to uh, on the ground organizing, right? Uh, because they they are thinking about collectively, okay, we've made this, uh, you know, we've come together. So what now? What's next? Yeah. And well, how can we then uh, bring about change? Um, you know, more. Um, um, and then more, not I don't want to call it methodical, right? But like, uh, like in the long run, right uh, way. And as to Tara's point, there needs to be some resulting action that uh, is a result of the protest. And if that doesn't happen, people walk away saying nothing changes, nothing happens. The system changes, stays the same. When you need a little bit of organization and, and forethought right. to get there. But I also would like to, you know, because again, people uh, kind of. Uh, digest right these these movements differently. Um, I I would like to say that while maybe nothing came you know collectively came out like in a in a form of an organization, I think that these types of of demonstrations also have a purpose and they they do you know serve well within the larger scheme of organizing and and you know kind of building a momentum to bring change because the twenty twenty protests at least right in the bare minimum it brought an awareness. And it brought um, edu- uh, kind of like a, the next wave, right, of uh, f- folks wanting to get educated uh, and to learn more about, you know, why why is the system in place that we have, right, when it comes to policing? Why does it look like this? And it's a, a tangible symbol it, to other people simple. watching that a lot of people care about this, right? Exactly. And yeah. so maybe, you know, maybe the, the energy dissipated. But hopefully, you know, at least one person or two people or, or, you know, folks in the community that may not, you know, rally support uh, for these particular causes are now looking at the way that they teach their children or the way that they um, vote. Right. And who they're voting for. Um, It's a small kind of first step, but it's something right. Um, It's 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 somewhere to start. Tara, to underscore the point, you have said that when you look back on the civil rights movement, uh, it wasn't just the massive marches that led to victory, but the behind the scenes work that made such a, a difference here. That's right. There were people like Ella Baker training the movement leaders over the course of time. There was infrastructure that was being built. There were social services connected to the activity of the Black Panther Uh Party. It wasn't just what we see in history textbooks, which I think is actually a very surface level picture of what happened. It was a much deeper movement that came with infrastructure and organization. And I will say, even in recent history in this region, we have examples of this. The Ferguson uprisings in in the outside of St. Louis led to the formation of an organization called Action St. Louis, right? Protesters became organizers. Action St. Louis, I would argue, has had a critical role in forever changing the political landscape in St. Louis. You were just talking to Bishop Caldwell 
who is talking about missing women in uh, in Kansas City. Some of the first people who reported that story are people who are actually organizing some of the uprising protests here in Kansas City in 2020. We're going to have to leave it there. That's the voice of Tara Ragavir, director of KC Tenet. Sandra Enriquez joined us as well, an assistant professor of history and director of the public policy emphasis at UMKC. Thank you both very much. Appreciate your thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.